Hello and welcome to the Chicana Code Switchers podcast. Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia. We are both Chicana scholar practitioners in higher education. Each episode, we discuss insights, tips, and resources for students and practitioners in higher education with a focus on social justice and platicas. With that being said, let's start this episode. Hello and welcome to another Code uh, Chicana Code Switchers episode. I am Ariana and my colleague. Hi everyone, I'm Patricia. And we're here today at Harvard um, at the Alumni of Color Conference with four awesome guests who joined us today for a live recording of our most recent episode. And today it is going to be more popcorn-like of an episode because we're going to have a more informal conversation about who we are in this space, why we came to the conference, um, and our, and share a little bit about our educational journeys. Um, so let's get started. Yeah. So uh, today's topic, we're going to talk a lot about um, just the process of, or like the experiences of immigrants, you know, pursuing higher education, both on the undergrad and graduate level. And just in general, like how are we connected to this work? Like um, I'm connected to this work because I came here um, as an immigrant with my parents uh, when I was two. We settled in California. And the thing that inspired me to learn a lot more about immigration and the complexities of it, um, because when you come into this country, um, like, you know your own immigrant story, but it's like hearing like the different places and the different experiences in different states or locations or people that come in from different countries and how they settle here in the U.S. has been really like for me, it's it's been a passion of mine to support um, immigrants um, at different stages. So like either immigrants as like when they came in here as asylum, refugee um, here because of, you know, all these other experiences beforehand and then interactions that the U.S. has, particularly because I came here um, uh, from Mexico and like Mexico and U.S. relations and even the borders of uh, like the north and California and in Canada, like that is a thing that I like I continuously think about because it informs like why my experience has been the way that it has been. Um, I'm also connected to this work. I mean, high school was inspired um, by a lot of my friends who came out as undocumented. Um, I graduated in high school in 2013 when DACA, conversations about DACA and the California Dream Act were huge. And understanding how my unique uh, immigrant experience has been completely different from theirs. And the importance of, because I wanted to become an educator in higher education and work with students, it was really, really important for me to understand that the complexities and the experiences of a lot of immigrants uh, and also like what happens when they're trying to pursue higher education and the barriers that they experience. So currently I'm the a graduate assistant of the Dream Success Center at Fresno State. I work and advise undocumented students um, both at the undergrad and graduate level to, um, to help them pursue graduate school but not when they're graduates. Um, and it has a lot of information and if uh, we're doing this work has made me realize that there's a lot of structural stuff that are not included and people get kind of puzzled when we're talking about immigration and especially the new cohorts uh, coming from the, the just the geographic location of Fresno in the Central Valley in California. Um, a lot more Asian undocumented students have come up in our cohort and our staff are completely puzzled, one with just the word undocumented. And then when you talk about 
different undocumented populations that they're not currently thinking of. They're like so confused and I'm like, they're still, you know, predominantly students of color. They're still first generation uh, college students because they're the first in their family to go to college in the US. Like there's still a lot of things that are very similar. Um, they're just experiencing, but somehow like a lot of people are super like puzzled. And so um, that is part of my work is just to like really clarify and inform a lot of not only the students going through the process, because there's still students, you know, developing as professionals, developing, and a lot of it is like very similar to what other students go through. Um, but somehow, a lot of people have a lot of misinformed, are misinformed and har like can do harm. Um, and then Ariana, um, how are you connected to this work? Yeah, so just for context, because I know you're all just like new to the space. Um, and to this experience. Um, I'm, I, I'm originally from Mexico. I'm a 1.5 generation as well because I grew up in the US but was born in another country. Um, and now I'm, uh, I recently graduated from Harvard in the master's program in higher ed. And I'm working here uh, with the immigration initiative at Harvard that Dr. Gonzalez runs. Um, and like I was sharing with um, my colleagues here before or earlier, um, that we did this podcast to talk about the higher education experiences that we all go through and to expand and reach more people so that they're encouraged and motivated to go to, to college, to pursue their master's, that it's never too late or too early to start. So if we can all go around and just share a little bit about ourselves and like what brought you to the conference maybe or what is something notable that we should know about yourself. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm Jill. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion coordinator for Neighboring Town. Um, I got an invite to the conference and I've done a few things with the School of Education. So I figured I might as well come and expand my knowledge and learn today. Awesome. Hi, my name is Melissa. Um, I am currently a student here at the uh, Grad School of Education in the Ed Policy and Management Program. Um, and so I guess some of my reasoning for coming to uh, Hugsy in the first place is I'm coming from a college access background and mainly like nonprofit space. So like working in different school districts and mentoring students um, in different capacities and so I saw a lot of similarities from the students I worked with and then from my own experiences in my public school education system. Um, and I felt like I really had that understanding uh, from a student's perspective, but I didn't have that systems level work on like how bigger policies and just in general the system affects our everyday experiences. And so that was my reasoning for wanting to come into the ed policy program so that I can then bring that knowledge back to the students that I work with. Uh, my name is Alejandro, and what brings me to the conference is, uh, it's a conference, actually, because I came to AOCC two years ago, and then a couple months later, I was inspired to apply to the master's, and then um, it's like the Sparknotes version of the story, but I got in, and so now I'm a student here, and uh, here we are. What are you um, Just like peace and serenity, to be honest, like... <laughs> For real, you know, that's 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 genuine. Um, everything else is gonna happen, you know, and being human is hard, so you gotta find a way to be happy. So hi, I'm Alexis. Sorry, I was late. I couldn't find the space. Um, so I am a former Boston Public Schools teacher. I taught middle and high school English in um, 
Boston for six years. Um, I moved over to philanthropy about two years ago. Um, and, you know, it's the same concerns that I had that, you know, when I was teaching that I see coming up in philanthropy through the grants that I oversee, et cetera. Um, I'm not a current student at Harvard, but I would like to be in the future. Um, and this session in particular resonated with me because when I was in grad school previously, I constantly felt the imposter syndrome, um, even though it was for, you know, like education and teaching specifically in an urban area. Um, and I'm looking to overcome that when I apply in the next few years. So thanks. Hello, my name is Daniela. Um, I am a Chicana from Texas. I'm first gen. Um, I went to Wellesley College for my undergrad, and now I'm an educator in Boston Public Schools, and I would like to pursue my graduate degree soon, so I'm here to learn. Hello, my name is Tingshan Liu, and, and people also call me Tiara. Um, I come to AOCC because I want to learn more about eth ethnic studies, um, especially my current job uh, is working at Cambridge Public School and I had, I have um, many students and um, just have, it's a very diverse, it's like one third um, African American and one third Asian and one third um, white American. So I, I feel like um, there are a lot of like cultural differences I encounter and sometimes I um, I'm trying to, I want to know like more, more about my student and really to uh, create and build up a, a build up a safe and safe environment for them to to grow. Um, hello, everybody. I'm um, Claudia Espinosa. I run an organization in New York City called Latinas on the Verge of Excellence. Uh, the short acronym for that is LOVE. And we support young women um, in high schools. And we do that by running a health-based program um, that concentrates on mental health, reproductive health, and college access. I founded the organization nine years ago to support young Latinas in particular um, in New York City. There's a lot of challenges affecting these young women related to uh, teen pregnancy and suicide attempts. So I'm working to change that. Great, so th thank you so much everyone for the introductions. Um, I would like to start our conversation off with um, what, just a central maybe general question and whoever feels inclined to answer it, please let me know. Um, I would. We're interested in learning about how your upbringing influenced your career trajectory or your educational trajectory. Like how, how, what would you say influenced you to be to pursue your career, um, and anything else that you'd like to share? Do you want to start? Sure. <laughs> um, I think what influenced me um, has definitely been the journey of being an immigrant and being undocumented and uh, currently I'm pursuing a career in uh, in tech innovation I, I'm actually like intellectually fascinated by by computers and technology and by how it um, how it's disrupting like a lot of human patterns but also how it's putting a lot of humanity through like a matrix and um, it's a big mirror it's historically playing out like a big mirror and um, so anyway, uh, that that actually, if you had asked me seven years ago when I graduated from Berkeley, um, 
as an undergrad that I would be pursuing tech. Like, I would have said, you're crazy. <laughs> I don't do tech, you know? But um, the fact of the matter is that it's all circumstance. Um, I, I, was in, I was in student activism since 2007, since 2006, really. Uh, I went to my first protest in downtown LA when, um, looking back on it, it's crazy how just the thought of a bill that would like demonize Im immigrants brought out everybody to the street. And when you compare that moment to like the president we have right now and, and the way like ICE is doing things, like that's crazy, you know? But in any case, that was that. And uh, I went and I got very like aware, you know, I got a heightened awareness because I, I felt like I've always been a very like woke individual, but I started putting words to things and things started making sense. So I got deeper into that work and um, I deviated from something that I was actually very good at naturally. Um, in community college, I was, I was doing really well in, in all my math classes um, to the extent that I was like acing everything on every test. Um, I would tell my teacher that I was doing like stats problems just for funsies. And she was like, you don't want to study this stuff? And I said, no, because, you know, the people, whatever. I, I was also learning like ethnic studies. You know, I was learning like how to be on that Che Guevara energy. <laughs> and so I was passionate about that. And I went that route. And um, when I was in Berkeley, it was it was it was the perfect place to grow as far as that uh, desire. And uh, being in ethnic studies opened up a lot of avenues to learn about just the history of social justice activism. Now, the thing about it is that for undocumented people, like you, you could really be about that life, but you could look historically and we've taken nothing but losses, like straight up. Every two, three years is like something worse. And being in the Dream Act movement, it was like heartbreaking, you know, it was heartbreaking because you, you started to see all the, all the varieties of undocumented youth. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was not suffering nearly as bad as other people, you know? My family was very candid from the go, and they said, you know, we're, we're undocumented. If anything ever happens, we come from somewhere, and we could always go back to that. So that provided me a sense of security. But here I am at Berkeley with, I was already 23, almost 24, with 18-year-olds that are still grappling with this new reality. And so that was hard to see them go through that. And then in 2010, when, when the DREAM Act again, right under, under Obama's presidency, uh, gets defeated, that was, that was really, like, heartbreaking. And then, you know, the deportations, and, you know, finally we get DACA. And by then, like, I'm, I'm kind of a wild cat, so <laughs> my DACA wasn't easy because I had to go to court. And, you know, I had, I had had a couple situations that I needed to account for. So it took me a while to get that work permit. And it, when I graduated from Cal, I didn't have a work permit. So there I am as a, as a college graduate working in a restaurant. And, um, and even that was something else because I was, trying to be, I was trying to be a waiter or a bartender. And there were races. They were like, nah, we only have openings for cooks. And I was like, bruh, your window right there says you're looking for a bartender. You know, like, I speak English, holla at me. And they literally would just look at me like, we don't have openings, and I was like, damn, like, y'all ain't shit, so being that, you know, I was a G about it, I was like, you know what, my favorite uncle was a cook, and he's gangster, so I'm gonna do this, so I, I was a cook for like three or four years, 
And even once I got DACA in 2016, I had no professional, like, resume, you know? Here I am, like, living amongst all these other college graduates that at 23, they're interning at PwC and at firms and at, you know, like, at a really young age, here I am in the middle of my mid-20s, like, with nothing, you know? Literally, I felt like I had, I had, I had a, a, lot of, a lot of education. My education was very dense, but it wasn't shit, you know? Like, economically, there was nothing to it, you know? I couldn't, in Oakland, like, I could afford a room. In Richmond, I could afford a room and maybe, like, a little broke-down car. So I wasn't about to cry about it, but, you know, I might have smoked a lot, you know? I might have I medicated a lot. And, and, and it was in, in the middle of that depression that, you know, I, I was just finding myself on the Internet a lot. And um, I decided to, to go back to the undocumented student work. And at UCLA, they had a program called Dream Summer that I had never applied to that was for undocumented youth. I had never applied to it because I never needed that resource because I had really good scholarship money at Berkeley. So I go to that program, and the director that year was talking about how they wanted to start a Silicon Valley cohort because there's a lot of undocumented youth in Santa Clara and San Mateo counties, which is like the heart of Silicon Valley. So there was a new paradigm shift in the Dreamer movement where they were talking about, like, we got to do something new. We got to do something different. We got to do something we haven't done before. And so that was that. And... um that's kind of how I had a very organic turn towards technology. But mentally and intellectually, the real paradigm shift happened when I read Moneyball. And um, Moneyball is a book about like data analytics and baseball. And, and the way I understood it is that like data is just really collecting like our behavioral patterns. And I thought it was funny that people were afraid of like, oh, big tech is collecting data because I'm kind of cynical, so I'm like, what y'all afraid of? You know, like, it's just collecting what you do, like, what you're tripping about. So I felt like I, I didn't have nothing going professionally. I didn't have a lot going, like, as far as making money. I had, I had a really, like, I had a really, like, it, like I said, it was just a circumstance. And that program at UCLA ended up growing, and I ended up becoming the director of that project or the coordinator, or I don't know. I don't know what we put on paper as far as that tax goes, but, <laughs> but I was getting paid for it. And, um, and it was really successful because I was like the spokesperson for it. And, and the profit who ran it, like he really gave me a lot of confidence. And like in a lot of rooms with philanthropy, like whenever we'd be talking to like fund managers, he let me do the pitch. And so it took off. And by, by the third year, like the first year we partnered with San Jose City College and a bunch of community colleges that were exploring like how to bring technology into like other areas that are not just STEM. The second year, Univision had a thing going on in San Jose and they invited us because they didn't have no programming. And I could tell I could tell they were just like they were just running game. And I was like, Y'all don't got nothing going on for this tech center, but you got us, you know, we'll do you a conference for the summer. And they played it cool and they let us do a whole thing. So that brought up, that brought out a lot of people because their brand with Latinos, like, you know, it pulls people. And then that led us to pitching the program again a third time at the Silicon Valley Chamber of Commerce and um, a, a big, like a big, like shot caller from Netflix was there and he really empathized and he offered to give us like Netflix resources to do something big. So that was in 2018, uh, I ran a hackathon where we created like a three-day 
um, innovation event for undocumented youth that were interested in tech or that were already like in STEM. And that was major. That was really big because we got people from Google, from LinkedIn, from Facebook. We got a lot of youngsters that were already working in these companies that were like, oh, my mom's, you know, my parents are immigrants. So it, it was like a really nice like coalition, you know, coalescence, coalescence. Like it, it was a really nice coming together of a lot of people. And um, I just continued diving deeper and deeper into the technology. And that's how I ended up pursuing the career that I'm pursuing now. And but I'm very like unapologetic, you know, like I'm not tripping about the money or gentrification or like Google buses. Like it's nothing to me, you know, like because I see the long term strategy. I see the long term struggle here. And, and I think that it's a distraction when like when we don't think long term, you know, because these philanthropies like these rich ass people, they're thinking 20 years at a time. Like they're thinking like big moves, you know, and here we are still trying to decide. Like I said yesterday in the panel, we're always wondering what to call ourselves, and, like, it's a distraction, you know, from the long-term strategy. So, um, to me, I wanted to choose a career that that was intellectually, like, fulfilling, that was challenging, that was going to make me, like, good money because I need to make a living, and also that was going to last. And um, when when I was kind of, like, deciding what to pursue. I started off with, with law school and that brought me to my final necessity that needed to be filled, which was that I can't be myself in law school, <laughs> you know? Like, I could probably fake the funk and put on a suit, you know, and talk white, but like, fuck that, you know? Like, I want to be myself. And and in tech spaces, you're always encouraged to be yourself. So, so that's that about that. And I don't know who wants to go next, but... Thank you. So, um, so somehow similarly, I I moved here 20 years ago from um, Colombia. It's going to be 21 years. Um, so, kind of talking about career and how you land on your current career, I uh, in Colombia I studied psychology for two and a half years. I was 19 years old when I decided to move abroad. And I believe in destiny, and I believe that things happen just for a reason, and it all started because a friend decided to move, um, uh, you know, move away from Colombia, move uh, to, to Europe, and I ended up coming here. So a long story that I will try to make sure, I originally wasn't coming here, I was going to move to Europe, that didn't um, happen, so I have family here in New York, so I, I landed here, I was 20 years old. Um, and how, you know, that story, now how it relates to what I currently do, right? So I, I always say I moved here, you know, as a 20-year-old, maybe I wasn't 14 like many of the girls that we currently support in our programs, but I had to go through everything that they are going through. And so personally, I can totally relate. When I decided to move here, I did it by myself. Um, I... I lived well in Colombia, but not well enough for like my parents to support me here. And so I bring that up because once I did, made the decision to move, it was all on me. So I, I moved here by myself. Um, and for seven years, I, I moved here and I, you know, originally like years ago, maybe I, I would have 
feel comfortable sharing, like being so vulnerable about every single step that I had to I had to go through. But when I came, I came with my tourist visa and I overstayed my visa. So for seven years, I was here without uh, legal documents. And so I understand that too, what that is, right? And in 2000, is now like now. Back then, there was no, in New York, even in New York, there was no ID. There was no, I couldn't have a bank account. Uh, I didn't have a bank account for like seven years until I got my, my green card. And so I understand what the girls had to go through. I have to go through now. I. Um, I learned clearly the language. Um, so all of those steps, right? So, but back then, I mean, I did all of that. I put myself to school. I worked and as a, par- a par- uh, personal trainer for several years. So all of that uh, back then didn't, you know, I didn't know that all of that will make sense for what I currently do with my life, right? So when I moved to New York, I finished uh, four years later after I put myself through ESL classes and after, you know, I figured it out a little bit on my on my own two feet, I went back to my psychology degree. And so when I, uh, that the goal with that was to become an FBI agent. So going back to, you know, how things change, right? So um, I finished uh, John Jay. I had to pay for John Jay. I didn't get any um, scholarships or anything again because I didn't have any papers. So I had to, with my personal training, which gave me a good salary, I paid for my education. But by the time I finished, um, the goal had changed. I started getting more, in- uh, towards the end of that degree, I started getting interested in human rights. Back then, I didn't know what that meant. And I started working for nonprofits. I didn't know what a nonprofit was. So, but I just started to change. And um, I lived abroad for a year before I graduated from John Jay. And when I came back, things again started, my, my interest started to change. So I applied to school. Oh, and in all that period of time. Uh, my dad had a similar experience that I did. So when he was 20, a little bit harder though, he moved to New York to support his families in the, in the in family in the 70s. So because of him, I was able to get my documents because during his time here, he became um, legal, like he had his green card and then a citizen. But that process for me took seven years. So from the time that he applied for me to get that those papers in 2001, they didn't come through until 2007, eight. So that's when I lived like that. So, um, so when I got my green card, I was able to study abroad, came back, put myself to school. Um, I applied to NYU, got in. So the story there is that at the same time that I got into NYU, I started working for this nonprofit that, again, it kind of leads you to, in my case, to what your purpose is of trying to find your career. So I started working for this suicide prevention program in Brooklyn. And for me, it was a job. It was using my forensic psychology degree. But very soon after, I started my, my role as an intake counselor, like my, my life changed. My job was to interview girls that were referred by partner hospitals because they had depression and suicidal ideations. Mm-hmm. So my day to day work was to talk to girls between 13 and 18, Latinas, um, because young Latinas have the highest suicide attempts in New York City. So that program was ke- created because of that reason. And I had no idea about that. That's back in 2009. 
And so my day-to-day was interviewing these girls that told me I had no reason to live. I, they had already tried to commit suicide. Six months after that, I had, every night I would have dreams or slash nightmares with the girls because that, to me that was not normal. And so listening to the girls saying those things, being hopeless, I said to myself, I, I can't allow this to happen, right? So I was at NYU and that's getting a degree in nonprofit management. And mentioned before, I had no idea what a nonprofit was, and I was getting a degree in, in, in nonprofit, and I decided I'm, I got to do something. So created this mentoring pilot program at NYU. I actually I did it during that time that I, I started working for nonprofits. I worked for Big Brothers Big Sisters, so I started getting familiar with mentorship. That's how love started. So it's been nine years, and the flexibility with career was that my personal life now I I can use it to say to the girls, yes, you can, right? So when I moved here had to go through all that process, understanding my girls now that they also moved here six months ago. I am not gonna be able to learn the language. I'm not gonna be able to go to school. I, how am I gonna, you know, I have no documents. So all of that is, for me at the, right now, is very, is empowering for my personal, you know, experience to be able to say, yes, you, you can. And the way we do our programs is by bringing college mentors, college female mentors, Many of them Latinas that tell the students, I had similar background than you, I'm, I was able to do it, so can you. So, uh, the, yeah, the, the life changes and change in trying to be an FBI agent to where I do now is the, <laughs> the point, the, and the point and, and, and helping, right, but in helping in a different way is to, 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 we're, to be flexible because we don't know what life has in store for us. Hi everyone, I'm Diana ortiz -Hiron. I am the Assistant Director of Diversity Education and Support at Harvard College. I was originally born in Mexico, raised in LA, undocumented for, for 20 years, and now I, I am passionate about higher education and like thinking about, you know, everybody says go to college, go to college, but who's going to support you once you're in college, right? Who are going to be the administrators who are going to have the intuition and understand you before you even ask what you need. And as an FGLI Latina undocumented alum, you know, I feel like I owe it to um, the higher ed institutions that I work for to be able to train and help others become more aware um, and to, to be a, um, a senior leader so that I can call the shots, so that I can change the policies. Because I was a student activist and I understood what it was like to educate my administrators on my experiences and help them to help me. But now it's like I want to be able to take off the burden from the student activists and be able to provide the full-time support that I can with student programming and policy changes. Um, so that's my hope and my dream and, and why I'm here. So that's, that's me. Yes. Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Frank Hiron, and uh, basically I'm from Los Angeles. I went to Pomona College in uh, the Los Angeles area, and then I got my master's in statistics here at MBU, uh, statistical practice, that is, and uh, it's like a data science program. And I kind of changed majors a lot, so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a doctor in the beginning because of, like, all these shows, right? And they're still out there. <laughs> you know, I think House was on. House was, house was like at its peak when I went to college and so then I was like okay 
But then I realized I, I didn't like science at all. I think it was just like romanticized in my head. And, and also in our family, because like in our family, like in most, a lot of other immigrant families, right? Lawyer, right? Engineer or doctor, right? And uh, so, but then I realized like I, I got to be in a place that I, I like what I'm doing. Like when I'm going to go eight hours, I got to love what I'm doing. I can't, I won't, so now like I love what I do. Actually, I, I teach at a community college, uh, Mass Bay Community College, that is. Um, I love it there. Every time I walk in there, it's like I feel this like refreshing breeze. Uh, from the moment I went in for the interview, I felt like, yeah, I really want to be here. I saw the students, I saw the staff, I saw the environment. And uh, I, I love uh, teaching math and statistics. And my goal would be to eventually start a uh, data science consulting uh, program. You know, I don't know if the school would be open to, I haven't told them yet, yet but I, <laughs> because I just started working there a couple years ago and I'm still getting all my lessons planned and uh, having all that ready. My job, my goal really is to make statistics accessible and concise. Uh, so there's a common theme throughout it. For me, it's like a book. It's like a literature book. It's like, it's my Harry Potter. And I, I see statistics and I'm like, oh, I can really like summarize this story. Because to me, it's like a story. I can really help people like see what's going on here. And my, the majority of my students are humanity students. And so, especially for them, I think, because a lot of them will say things like, like, I'm just taking this class because it's a prereq. I mean, I'm sorry, it's a general requirement, you know, and, and I don't really want to do math ever again. But I, I, that, that a lot of them tell me that. And so I, I want to share my, my knowledge of it, but also I want them to appreciate it. So, and that's where I'm at right now. So still, this is my fourth semester, but I'm, every semester I'm trying to make it better. Uh, especially for that class, so that's where I'm at right now. Alexis, do you want to share any words of wisdom? Wisdom um, about higher <laughs> maneuvering higher ed, um, or anything. <clears throat> All right. So, yeah. So, I um. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, so I was like, yay, when you said, you mentioned John Jay College. Um, I got into education because I had, like, phenomenal teachers. Um, my mother, like, barely finished high school. My father finished high school in Barbados, and that wasn't really counted here. My mother's mother, like, only had a third grade education. Um, and so, like, when you, ha like, people say, like, oh, you're, like, it's a, it's a, it's a statistic, like, you're not gonna make it, or you're not destined to make it, because you're blah, 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 um, but I had, like, phenomenal teachers, um, phenomenal teachers so much so that, like, they came to my house, like, it was very, like, embedded with my family, like, you know, they'd call, they'd literally just stop by if I was absent, um, and for that, I am, like, eternally grateful, um, and I wanted to be a phenomenal teacher for other people, um, so that's how I got into education. I did a program in Boston called Boston Teacher Residency, and it was very intense, um, but it was it was a great program. Um, and I really liked the fact that, you know, I was like in the classroom four, day, yeah, four days a week, Fridays we had our own classes and in the evenings. Um, but I guess something, like I guess a word of wisdom um, for me, like something I, I lived by while I, I did it was, like I tried to like surround myself with like very passionate people. Um, I'm still like in the education sector, like we only fund organizations who, you know, do work in education, whether it be with youth, teachers, parents, et cetera. Um, and I can't imagine myself straying too far from education because uh, leaving the classroom was like incredibly difficult. It was like the hardest decision I've ever made. Um, 
so I don't imagine like myself straying too far. Um, yeah, I guess a word of wisdom would just be like be passionate so much so that it like reverberates within you, uh, even when you're not in that space. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so you want? Oh. Okay. Um, so this is Tiara. So I, um, I was, um, I was, um. I came here eight years ago studying business um, for my graduate school, and I thought I would become I would become a businesswoman, and that's how people who um, grew up in Asia like they just want their kids to be a business a successful uh, businessman or businesswoman, and that that was originally my goal. So after I graduated from BU, I um, Went to a big international manufacturing firm called Foxconn. They made um, Dell or iPhone or everything else. Um, I was um, I was a project management um, manager, um, doing project management for the team. So I work with the computer. Uh, I work with Dell as my clients, and I also traveled to uh, China in the factory. Um, so I was. Remember the time I spending with the 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 worker in the factory doing assembling lines, and they are really desperate. They do mon- they did mundane job, the time over the times over the times, and it was really bored. Um, but they kind of they 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 uh, feel America as a hope. So they really want to raise up their kids and coming to America. And then I think through that time, I realized that the, also the the power of education that I really want to do something that I can inspire people and especially children in education that they can really help their family and they can really do something different. So I decided to become a teacher. I was a new teacher last year. I I taught in Boston Public School as a Mandarin teacher. I'm、um, um, working in Chinatown, and I I met a lot of immigrants family who um. Um, really gave a lot of pressure and hope on their children because their children are the second generation. Yeah,、um, I I have some students that、um, the parents who just came in and couldn't really speak English when they was got chased by their landlord, not being able to pay the rent, and then they have to ask their children to come to communicate with the the landlord and and. To really rely on the children to do many many things, and the children bear a lot of pressure. They have to get straight eight on their、uh, score on 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 all the subject at the score. So I I did experience that、uh, many my of my students struggling with that, and then they、um, also struggling. With, they really want to be American, that they they did not want to learn Mandarin at all. They want to forsake their identity. Um, but to completely like embrace, I want to be like full American. I want to look like a full American. But yeah, so I I'm still on、uh, exploring on、um, how I could、um, help them to find their identity. Because when they are in America, sometimes they don't really feel like associate with. Uh, the majority of the the group, but when they travel back to Asia with their parents, they found themselves that they are not able to speak a fluent Mandarin. <laughs> they were they also feel like I'm not belong to there, so they they are confused and they are feel very mixed, like where I belong to and where I am here. Yeah.
that. So that's、uh, my challenge, and I really hope to helping them, all, all my students who are immigrants, and, and especially recently the coronavirus、um, situation happened. So some of my Chinese students they also got、um, a little bit nervous about how people look at them. Some people will tease them. Some people will will say say to them, "Oh, you are contagious."、Um, so it was also hurtful for them. So I'm trying to helping them. Um, to go through this, yeah. Sure. <laughs>、um, so Jill, so my current role, I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion coordinator,、um, and I got here. Say it was a process of figuring out myself.、Um, I my undergrad years, I was a student activist. That's when I really got involved with.、Um, Issues around equity, and I really realized. So I mixed,、um, but I realized my skin is brown, and I was at a predominantly white institution, and that hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs>、um, and so I got invested in that work, and you know, career-wise, I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted, I loved history. I wanted to dig, and then I thought, okay, maybe let me switch this up. So I focused on、um, culture and people, and I studied anthropology. Um, after that, I worked in healthcare. I worked at the Children's Hospital in Boston. I'm in a, a youth center, so I've always had a connection with youth,、um, education, and that led me to policy. So I finished grad school focusing on public policy.、Um, and during grad school, again, I I felt like an imposter. My first day was horrible because a diversity workshop went terribly wrong and. That's when I said, "Okay, I can't do another full year of not feeling like I should. I should be here."、Um, and so I took that step to work on diversity programming for my program、um, to make sure that no other students entering that space would feel that way moving forward.、Um, so that's kind of where I started to shift my career, and here I am now in a position. <laughs>、um, and so working for a town. I, it's a lot of components and it's complex. And I, I'm I'm working in a predominantly white town,、um, and so dealing with racial equity、um, is it's difficult. And it's starting at the basic levels of just understanding and educating the community as a whole.、Um, but so far, I'm liking it, and I know it's going to be a challenge moving forward. So, but that's how I got there.、Yeah. Um, I think why I decided to work in higher education.、Um, I didn't know that that was a career that you could do.、Um, I was really passionate about education just because of my own experience coming into the U.S. and having to be a cultural broker for my family and like be the translator, be the one that's like representing myself, you know, and having to advocate for myself. I went back to Mexico. To school there in elementary school, and had been separated from my dad for a long time, and living without a father present for my upbringing, and so it was a challenge to navigate all these different changes and consistently having to move,、um, to like growing up, moving to different apartments all the time.、Um, And having to just like hear the histories of my family, like, because you grow up seeing a different perspective than like when you're older. Then you have those conversations like, wait, why did we do this? Why? What happened?、Um, 
um, growing up as a teenager, hating that I was brown, hating that I had to do all these things, um, and internalizing a lot of the Americanization that was happening. I didn't understand why I was put in this situation. Um, I felt like I was like, damn, like, why can't I have you know, things easier, you know, like my having to change schools all the time and, and stuff like that. So from that process, um, it was thankfully for um, intervention from like upper bound and like different teachers that understood where I was coming from. We were talking about like educators that intuitively know what you're going through and helping you just conceptualize what is happening and also for you to heal from what was happening and what will happen too. Because a lot of the people that came in that program uh, we're talking about because I grew up in Napa and a lot of people have this idea of what Napa is mm-hmm. and I'm like well my dad worked in the fields I, I wasn't the vineyard owner or you know like mm-hmm. there's a lot of misconception of what that is because you are in a privileged place but also you're marginalized in different places so it was for me to understand what it was like growing up and my positionality my privileges and, and where I was marginalized um, it was difficult um because you're not having the tools to just understand what you're what you're experiencing. And when I went to college, I went to a predominantly white institution. So that was triggering <laughs> from the get go. Like I didn't feel like I belonged. And um, through this process, I, I was able to meet with really amazing educators that understood what I was going through, where I wanted. I, grad school was not something that I had initially thought of. My parents were like, you're going to college, but you have to figure out how to do that. Um, and that was really hard, like being the overachiever and like doing so many different things and feeling like I could just not catch up to understand like all these systems, right? Like you're learning how to do an application, you're learning how financial aid works, you're learning all these things. And for me, it was important to be an educator and understand like a lot of the immigrant experiences from different people and just understanding like depending on what country you're coming from, it will be different. But the immigrant experience in general is pretty similar in the sense that you're just lost and you laugh about all these like really like silly mistakes that you make. And then you're like, oh, yeah, you look reflect. That was funny. But also like that was very like traumatic, you know. Um, And going into higher ed wasn't something that I had initially planned. Like I didn't think I could do a career in and I liked higher education. I like leadership. I like working with students of color. But I didn't know that you could actually make a career out of it. Um, And so grad school was just like always trying to catch up and never really finding myself that I was where I was supposed to be um, learning as I was going. And um, when I did go to graduate school, like I found out that a lot of the minority serving institutions were not really doing the best to cultivate like high achieving or just understanding the small little steps that you need to take to do that. Um, it was through other students of color that were telling me, like, hey, here's this best tip, here's this website, here's this thing, and each other, really. Um, and this is why we decided to do a podcast, was just to capture all these experiences and that all of ours is not linear and that everyone suffers because of this colonization that is happening, not only in our countries of origin, but also here, too, and that... Um, based on wherever you end up settling here in the U.S. will be very different. And having to explain to my parents that it was really difficult being a grad student and that you're just like, I'm doing all these other things and then having to explain to you why it matters. Um, Them not understanding that a lot of the work that you end up doing in college is in your head, not physical labor. Um, For them to understand that I was badass, you know, like, but like them not really seeing it. 
Um, and so I was just like, shit. And so I think what was helpful is having mentors tell me, engage your family in this. Bring them to the spaces. Show them around. Give them a campus tour. Show them your office or show them this. Because if they don't see what you're actually doing, then it's hard to build compassion. And then yesterday we recorded a, a podcast episode talking about also for different generations to have empathy with one another um, and having conversations with our families and asking them, what would you do if you were your own parent? What were the different options that you would have if you had other options? And then I found out within my dad, like he would have done the same thing I did. And then I it, probably I would have done what he did based on the circumstance that he was in. And it was just understanding that all of our generations are different, but um, that's the part where the compassion and understanding and the, and the time that it takes to forgive each other was challenging because you're, you're living it in the flesh. And also, like, at that moment, I was like, well, I was 13, you know, like, I was a rebellious, I didn't understand you, I was like, screw this, you know, but now as an adult, I can have empathy for you, but you also have to have empathy. And that's very different when you're living in a culture where it's, like, top-down with your parents. You can't provide feedback to them. They think it as like, you know, like all these like cultural nuances. Yeah, disrespect. Like, how dare you um, uh, talk back? Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm I'm coming in with feedback with love, you know, like because you have to understand that every single sibling that I have, we are different. Mm -hmm. And when they grew up with a family, a big family, there is no individualization, you know, and then there is no individualization individualization for us in higher ed either um and so that's for me as an educator um is consistently being misunderstood um but i have been the most understood in spaces like this so it was important for me to cultivate this idea that we each have to build a lot of our own paths but we don't have to build them alone um and so and when I'm working with students and they're like, I don't find this, I don't find that, I was like, well, you need to create it, you need to hustle, and that sucks. Because I wish that we didn't have to do that. Um, but also, once I leave from this institution, I'm taking everything with me, and that sucks, and I'm going to have to leave you like that. Um, because for most of our students of color, they don't build long-lasting relationships in institutions because most of the educators and the really badass people are having to leave because they don't have support either. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I'm like, I always kind of encourage everyone like, hey, create something where people can later on network. Like, so podcasting was one way to archive all these stories. Um, and for people to listen back because sometimes you kind of forget all those lessons, right? Does anyone else wanna? I think you all have an, another session. Mm -hmm. So thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, it was really great to know you all. Please, um, we're gonna, um, we took down your information so we can send you the link so you can listen to yourselves. And please, if you guys, can, uh, you all can uh, connect. I know there were a lot of people from Boston, LA, right? Uh, philanthropy educators. So please like, I would encourage you all to like connect. And thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.